You know, life is made up of a lot of choices. Krista made one yesterday. She made another choice again today. But, you know, when you think about it, choices are what life is really all about. It's a, a, a bunch of choices that lead us either in one direction or another direction. And we make our choices, and then choices actually turn around and, and change us as well. Uh, to illustrate, I'm going to share just a little bit of prison correspondence uh, with a young man that I have known for almost a dozen years. He reminded me actually how many years in his note. Uh, he's not yet 40 years old, uh, but as he looks at his life, he doesn't like what's going on in his life now. Of course, being locked up in one of the largest maximum security prisons in America is not a really great thing. But this is what he wrote me recently. I have been incarcerated for 11 years now and have more left. I grew up in the church, but then I fell away by the influence of all the lost of this world. I know that getting out of prison will be a fight because the big world is very corrupt. Doc, I want to share a verse with you that you shared with me years ago. A verse I read and think about every morning. It's Joshua 24, verse 15. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. So thanks to you. Every day I choose the Lord for me. That's a young man who's chosen like Krista chose today in her baptism. See, even though he is in prison, he has learned something. And it's this, that every day we choose to go in one direction or another. We can't say yes without actually saying no to something else. See, that's the message from the life of Moses we're going to take a look at this morning. It's kind of summarized in the reading that we heard uh, Lair share with us. And it kind of pitches the story in Hebrews in kind of a negative fashion. Uh, he says, Moses did great things because God taught him how to say no. And I'm going to take a look this morning at uh, this great refusal of Moses. Moses, who chose not to live in Egypt anymore but to live in the promised land. And it's a decision that I think all of us need to make, and that's that we don't need to live in Egypt. We shouldn't be living in Egypt. We ought to be living in the promised land. And I'm going to share five different statements this morning to kind of go back and forth between the book of Hebrews and a little bit into Exodus and maybe a few other Bible verses. Who knows? But here's the very first statement. He refused Egypt's fame. If you see the verse up on the screen, eventually, I think, there it is. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. That's kind of interesting because on the service, this kind of seems like, a, like ingratitude uh, since it was Pharaoh's daughter who found him floating in that little basket along the Nile River uh, and really kind of saved his life. It was Pharaoh's daughter who actually hired Moses' mama to be his nursemaid. And uh, she probably never knew that um, at the time. I'm not sure that she ever knew that. Uh, she was also the woman who protected him from her father, who was the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, uh, who had ordered all Hebrew baby boys to be killed. And she must have been the one who took care of him, who gave him oversight uh, for his education in the Egyptian court. Uh, I assume that she also made sure that he had the best teachers in Egypt um, 
to learn the, the Egyptian language, to learn the culture, the history. And I'm sure she protected him anytime anybody questioned his heritage. So from the details that we see from Exodus chapter 2, Pharaoh's daughter seems like a very strong, wise, and compassionate woman. You couldn't want a better person to take care of Moses other than his mama who also helped along the way. And so she took Moses in and she raised him and yet he refused to be called her son. We need to ask why. I don't think it's because of ingratitude at all. After all, he owed her his very life. She's the one who took him out of the Nile River. You know, maybe a big crocodile would come down eating him. Who knows? But I think the answer lies somewhere else. I think Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter precisely because she was Pharaoh's daughter. That's my reason. Although he must have loved her, I think he appreciated her. Uh, he did not want to be joined uh, in anyone's mind with the Pharaoh whose lifestyle and whose religion he did not follow. See, some scholars say that in the days of Moses, the line to become the Pharaoh went through Pharaoh's daughter. And if you want to accept you know, what some other people have written in the past, it meant that Moses could very well have become the Pharaoh of all of Egypt had he just stuck around. Well, the upshot of all of this is Moses had everything he wanted and that most people would give most anything to have. Whatever he wanted, Moses could have had. Money, wealth, being king of all Egypt, most powerful country in the world. But when he got to the height of his power, he gave it all away. It's not an easy decision uh, to make because, uh, well, <laughs> he's got Pharaoh's daughter to deal with the woman who, who he owed his life. So he's throwing away his entire future, and by any normal standards, it just does not make sense. But here's the first time that Moses says, I'm going to put it in a little bit more modern-day vernacular, Christ followers have no business living in Egypt. See, our problem is not that you and I don't make choices in life. Too often we think we're supposed to do what? Live in Egypt. Suck it up. Deal with it. It hasn't occurred to us that we can somehow get ourselves out of Egypt and live in God's promised land no matter where we live. Now, why is that? It's because many of us like living in Egypt. We like living in Egypt. Here's statement number two. He repudiated... Big word. I don't know why you chose that word. I could have put a smaller one up there. But he repudiated Egypt's pleasure. It says he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. Now, I want you to notice something in that verse. He does not say Jew and he does not say Hebrews, even though those two terms would have been accurate. See, Moses didn't make his decision on racial or ethnic bias. It's almost as if Moses stood up in front of all the Egyptians and said, you guys thought you knew me, but you don't know me. I may look like you. I may dress like you. I may talk like you. I may kind of act like you. Uh, but down deep in my heart, I'm a different person. I'm no longer going to live here as if I were an Egyptian because I am not. I'm going to take a stand 
for my God. I'm a follower of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and it's time that I cast my lot with my people. Now, when I read that, I'm just thinking, man, in the world that we live in today, where we are sitting in Egypt in many respects, a lot of people are like, well, I probably shouldn't be living here. But if I go over here with God's people in the promised land, I'm giving up a lot of stuff that was really kind of enjoyable at some point in time. Moses, I would suggest, is the kind of guy who scares people in this world. If you're the kind of person who used to live in Egypt and you moved out of it into the so-called promised land and you run into your old friends and they go, what's with you? I mean, I'm the last person in my high school graduating class that anybody would have ever thought would be a pastor. I would have been the last person out of my eighth grade graduating class that anybody would have ever thought he would be a pastor. I'm sure when I graduated from college, I thought this is a, he, he barely got out of college. He's the last guy you'd ever expect to be a pastor. Now, I'm not saying I lived full-blown in Egypt, but I hung around a lot in Egypt. But there came a time when Egypt was no longer an option, just like Moses. And just like Moses scares people half to death, there are some people yet today, I hate to put it this way, that kind of a little bit scared to death of me. It's like, what happened to him? What's with him? That's okay. Maybe people are going to say that about you. What, what happened to her? She was gone and all of a sudden she's come back and she's, she's different. That's not all that bad. Well, they just didn't get him. He didn't fit into any categories. So what deal can you make with a man who doesn't want anything that you have to offer? Now, here's statement number three. He resigned Egypt's wealth. Hebrews goes on and says, "He, uh, He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt, since he was looking forward or looking ahead to his reward. I have a feeling that when he said this, it, this made no sense at all to his Egyptian friends. You know, Moses, are you nuts? I mean, you've got everything the world could offer you here in Egypt. I mean, stay here. Stay in Pharaoh's court. Someday you can actually become Pharaoh and then you can change everything. So why would somebody do something stupid like that? That's what a lot of people would say. But it's because what does the Bible say? That last line, what does it say? He was looking ahead to his reward. So here Moses is looking at all of the earthly glories of Egypt and figured out that it really wasn't worth anything, at least compared to the glory that would come to those people who trust in the Lord and walk by faith. Now, somehow, like Abraham, I think Moses saw into the distance the coming of the Lord, and he knew it was better to suffer in the Lord with the Lord's people than to live in the lap of luxury back in Egypt. And again, our text is pretty explicit about what this this choice was. He chose to be mistreated. Not a wise choice in some respects. He counted it an honor to suffer for the Lord. So Moses chose. Other believers have chosen. I mean, I could recount any number of stories where people who've lived in Egypt, a different kind of Egypt, that finally chose, and their life was not nearly as good as it was back in Egypt. You see, we've got to decide whose team we're on. 
uh, which uniform we're going to wear, which flag we're going to fly, uh, what name we're going to bear, what price we are willing to pay if we believe. So let's be honest, friends. It is a whole lot easier to stay in Egypt. I mean, there are plenty of rewards for this home team, at least in the short run. Follow my way of thinking and everything will be okay. I get a little bit t- I don't listen to much news. I don't watch much news because it only aggravates me. What news I get mostly comes from my wife who tells me about what she's watched on the news. And I just kind of walk away and I go, I, I haven't quite said it this way, I don't want to hear any more about what's going on in Egypt. <laughs> because what's going on in Egypt aggravates a heart that wants to be elsewhere. But in the long run, Egypt vanishes. But those who abide with God last forever. Well, let's look at statement number four on the screen. The next one coming up there. Um, He renounced Egypt's king. By faith, Moses, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's answer. He persevered because he saw what? He saw him who is invisible. He saw God. This refers to the moment when Moses finally said, I've had enough. I'm not going to get into the you know, killing of other people. So we're going to leave that story for another time. Or Jeff can talk about that later when we get to talk back time. Uh, but you know, he, he leaves and he's off in the wilderness of Midian for 40, 40 years. And that's a long time. And while things are getting worse and worse in Egypt, uh, he's biding his time. And there is absolutely no sign whatsoever that he was ever going to return to uh, deliver his people. Now, I don't know what's the longest time you've ever waited for anything, but 40 years is a long time. I can almost imagine Moses in his prayer time as saying, uh, Lord, uh, you want me to deliver your people? I kind of get that general idea, but maybe we should get this program rolling. Uh, you know, I'm getting older, uh, and I've been gone a long time, and why are we wasting all of this time in the wilderness? Now, I would say, very simply, that's a good question. But second of all, time in the wilderness is never wasted. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but have any of you spent time in the wilderness somewhere between Egypt and the Promised Land where you kind of wondered what's going on? I, I, I turned back from this. I want to go this way. So where is God in the middle of this? See, we can look back and see that in Egypt that God was arranging things for something to happen. One king had to die and another king had to come back into power before Moses could go back and do what God wanted him to do. Now, meanwhile, what's Moses doing? Well, he's out marrying a wife. Uh, And he proved his faithfulness by taking care of uh, his father-in-law's sheep. And it's not by choice, though it might have seemed that way, that God suddenly, one day after 40 years, shows up in a burning bush. And that's a whole other story. You can go back and read that in Exodus chapter 3. And uh, the King James Version, or as Jeff would like to call it, in King Jimmy, it actually says where he was at was the backside of the wilderness. (laughs) And I, I like that. Basically, it meant go to the end of the world, turn right, go five miles, and then walk down this long lane, and there you'll find it. I mean, this is a long way from anywhere where God finally catches up with Moses. It's the last place that anybody would ever expect to see God. 
So naturally, that's where it happened. And it happened in a remote place while he was in the midst of some rather routine but necessary, but sometimes disagreeable, taking care of a bunch of wayward sheep. Guess what? He was going to have to do that for 40 years when they all left Egypt. So this was good training for him. But he's not thinking, today God will speak to me in a burning bush. He's thinking, I sure hope there's water somewhere for the sheep. And in the midst of doing his duty in the routine of life, in the most unlikely place, God speaks to him. Now, I don't know whether you two ever asked me this question, but I've had this question asked by people in my church as I pastored for, I don't know, 35, 40 years almost. They said, um, can God speak to me too? Good question. Can God speak to me too? In a roundabout way, he did speak to you. You may not have noticed it, but he did. Wow. I always tell them, don't worry about it. God's got you on speed dial. God can text you. God can email you. Uh, He can hit you with a blinding light. He can come out of the clouds in the middle of the night and hit you right smack between the eyes. Uh, And guess what? You can't put him on call waiting. You can't block him on Facebook or TikTok or any other goofy thing you want to be on today. Move on to statement number five. He rejected Egypt's religion. This is really good stuff. We could spend a lot of time on this verse, couldn't we, Jeff? We could spend a long time this whole thing on the Passover. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. And finally, the moment of ultimate truth came after God spoke to Moses and he returned to Egypt after his confrontations with Pharaoh and after nine of the ten plagues. Now, Anthony, you think I skipped this song. I'm going to come back to the song, so don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. God's way of deliverance meant saying farewell to Egypt once and for all. God tells his people if they want to be delivered, every family needs to kill an unblemished one-year-old lamb. Maybe a goat. No, just a lamb. And take its blood and paint it up the doorpost and across the lintel of their house. And then they need to roast that meat and eat it with bitter herbs. And they are to eat all of it and eat it quickly and be dressed to leave town. I'm going to take you back to Exodus chapter 12 real quick. This is what it says. On that same night I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Man, talk about a decision to make. This was the decisive break with Egypt. And it represented it was either life or death of the firstborn but either way a lamb dies or the firstborn of the family dies but either way blood is going to be shed now somebody reading this story I'm sure people have done this before read that story and said this is nuts this is crazy but it's entirely true I mean suppose an Israelite um, refused to sacrifice a lamb Uh, His firstborn would have died that night. 
just being a Jew could not save them because it's not national origin that matters to God. It's faith in God's appointed way of salvation. Now, in the same way, I, I tell you, I hope I'm not going to offend anybody here, but it has nothing to do with being Catholic or Baptist or even Lutheran. It doesn't have anything to do with your education or your health or your wealth or your status or your achievements or the money you've made or the money you haven't made or everything else that people think is, is really important. See, God wants to know just one thing. And I'm going to take you back into the New Testament again and quote John chapter 1, verse 29. Do you have faith that the blood of Jesus, the Jesus that is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? So what is that Passover lamb represented in the Old Testament to remind us of? Of exactly what Jesus did in the New Testament when the lamb was slain on the cross. Now, I want us to sing a song, and I'm going to, if you go back to this, Anthony, put it up there. I want you to join together with me in singing this song, There is a Fountain. I chose that song for a particular reason, you might well guess. But it takes me back to a number of years ago when I also used this song 
to lead into a message about salvation through the cross of Jesus Christ. What I remember about that Sunday was when church was over, several people came up to me in the lobby and they told me they did not like that song one bit. They thought that first verse was way too graphic. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners rush beneath that flood to have all of their guilty stains washed away. Now, after all of these years, when I picked this song out again, it took me back to that time. And I remember that conversation. People didn't like that idea of being in a bucket of blood, if you will. All I can say is some people will always be offended. Uh, I mean, who wants to think about being plunged into that fountain? But see, the same objections can be raised about the whole concept of what other people might call substitutionary atonement. We can talk about that another day. The idea of God's Son dying for the sins of the world still offends people where? In Egypt. Bring Jesus up in conversation sometimes and you will find out whether you are in Egypt or whether you are in the promised land. Now, nobody's rioting here this morning. We must be in the promised land. But I've been in places, many of you have been in places, and you raise the issue of Jesus, and everybody like, what's the matter with you, Willis? You know, they just kind of back away from you. Now, some people actually have called this divine child abuse, believe it or not. They mock the very idea of that the blood of Jesus can save anyone. Well, if the blood of Jesus can't save anyone... You know, we should pass on communion today as well because we're going to receive the very body and blood of Jesus Christ one more time for the forgiveness of all of our sins. But see, God's way is always repulsive to the people of Egypt. So we're faced with a choice of either watering down God's way to make it more palatable or we stand strong and talk about what we actually believe and we teach the way of salvation. We preach that the Lamb of God suffered and died and His blood saved us. I mean, for those people who reject the blood of Jesus Christ, there's no hope of salvation. I mean, very simply, He's God's Lamb, the one whose blood covers every sin. Anyone, anywhere, at any time, who comes to Jesus is not going to be turned away. And so I'm going to say to you again today, and I hope you you, you all do this on a regular basis, but are you willing? Are you willing to plunge beneath that flood and have all of your guilty stains removed? So let's be honest, friends. Egypt still exists. And Egypt is always doing this. Come back to Egypt. Come back with us, with all of our temptations, trying to draw us away from the promised land. So we kind of said it already in our confession today. Will you say no to Egypt and yes to the Jesus who loved you and who shed his blood for you? The last thing I want to say to you today is something I actually learned in prison a few years ago. And I wrote it down at the time in my Bible, and I hauled it out this last week. And this is what a friend of mine, Manny Mill, said many years ago. Living and staying in Egypt is not an option for the Christ follower. 
And once leaving it, it is not an option to return. May God bless our journey from Egypt to the promised land.